Hey, hey, a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds with the right plan and mindset anything is possible. I'm Jennifer Dawn, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. I am really excited to do this today's episode. It's one of those topics that is important when you need it. And I hope that most of you don't need it. If I'm being perfectly honest, I hope that you don't need it. But if you do, this is going to be a great topic for you. So my guest today is Lisa, and she is the founder of Asset Partners. And they are a company that works with law firms and high net worth individuals to help resolve complex financial disputes during divorce proceedings. Now, having been through a divorce or two (laughs) (laughs) myself, haven't we all right? It's one of those things that you're just like, you know, nobody gets married to get divorced, but it does happen. And even right now I have three clients that come to mind that are all going through fairly horrible divorces. And even as a business coach, it's one of those things that comes up. It comes up um, that people are going through divorce and they're trying to run a business and all of the different issues that go along with that. So Lisa, welcome to the show today. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yes, would you mind just sharing with the audience a little bit of your background and your experience and a little bit of your journey on how you came to be here on this show talking about divorce? Sure. Um, it's a rather circuitous path. I started over 20 years ago and I was a commercial asset manager. So I worked primarily for lenders who were taking back hospitality assets like resorts, hotels, golf courses in lieu of foreclosure. So as you can imagine, in that arena, there was the kind of top two tasks were legal and accounting slash financial related. And I did that for a number of years and enjoyed it, but had young children and the majority of my clients were, I live in Boston, Boston-based, and my I had no Boston-based clients. I had them as far away as Spokane, Washington, Florida, uh, Jekyll Island, Georgia. And the travel just became really overwhelming. I was you know, trying to maintain a, a weekly travel schedule with twin boys at home. And because of that, I really started to think about, well, what would these skills transfer to? And they really mirror the uh, contentious, I have to say, just like most foreclosures are contentious. They're very applicable to divorce proceedings. And so through that fashion, I was able to morph my skill set and business into its current reiteration, which is focused on domestic relations cases. And I just want to preface, I'm not a lawyer. I'm really a financial analyst. And so I'm not giving any sort of legal advice. I'm really talking about my experience. 
Very nice. I love it. Okay. And in your experience, talk to me about some of the pitfalls, you know, some of the things that can happen when we are, you know, going through a divorce and what are the, some of the things that can happen to us financially that we want to be aware of? Well, one of the things, you know, in my experience that creates an awful lot of stress for clients is a restriction to access to cash. And if I had one sort of anecdotal tip that I would give out, um, it would be to try to equalize both partners' access to cash because there's a lot of games that can be played when one partner has an unequal access to cash. You know, when you take one step back, even for me, and I'm sure for, you know, many of the law firms are all of the law firms that I work with. One of the first steps is an engagement for, for my practice. It's an engagement letter and a retainer. And you don't have access to the retainer and or the subsequent monthly bills you create. It's a, it's a real liability for their, that party versus the other who may have unfettered access. So that's one and all the stressors that can relate from that. You know, you're trying to mount defense or an offense. And if you're not able to fund it, and if one partner is not able to fund it and the other has unlimited resources, you know, you start off in a very unequal position. So that's one of the things um, I would suggest people who are contemplating a divorce to the best of their ability, try to equalize. Got it. And so is there something that can be done to help like protect your financial assets in a divorce? And and I don't want to put judgment or blame on either party, but sometimes, you know, when a couple decides that they want to separate, okay, great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, based on your experience, was there was there anything that you've seen that you, you'd love to share of just like a situation that's like, hey, you know, make sure you, you do this to protect yourself if you're going through it, because maybe you saw somebody who didn't take those steps to protect themselves when they were going through a divorce. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I'm just speaking kind of anecdotally and from an accounting analyst perspective, not a legal perspective. But, you know, the standard things, you know, if your intention is to try to maintain some sort of separate assets, the time or exclude them from division, the time to do that in states that allow for it would be prior to marriage, you know, or shortly thereafter, I think, and also to, you know, kind of to attempt to maintain them uh, separate and apart from the marital estate. When things, you know, are used, you know, if the the relationship is a partnership and everything is thrown into the partnership pot, it becomes quite frankly difficult to then segment those and exclude those after they've been used for some period of time, you know, for both parties or for the, for the marriage. Yeah. So the time to do it is when nobody wants to, you know, the time to really try to take some offensive steps is in the height of premarital bliss. <laughs> you know, that's really, but when it's in the throes of divorce, my experience from what I've seen is it's usually too late. 
Too late. Yeah, this is so interesting. Whenever I coach a business owner who wants to like give away equity in their business, right? If they're strapped for cash or they want to, you know, fund growth. And so they think about taking on an equity partner. And I'm always just like, you got to really think about this before you give away equity, because it's kind of like getting married. And Mm -hmm. when you decide that, hey, you know, we don't want to be partners anymore. It's like, go through those divorce proceedings first in the height of the bliss stage, because if you've already worked out how you're going to separate, it'll make it a lot easier. Hopefully it'll never come to that. But it's hard when you're all caught up in that initial just like, la, everything's wonderful. And of course, that person would never do that to me. And it's kind of the same when you're giving away equity in your company. You you never think that, oh, this partner will, you know, maybe not be the most ethical, honorable partner. Um, but I've seen it happen over and over again. And it's been done to me as well, where it was just, um, you know, you go into it thinking everything's going to be wonderful. But the time to actually negotiate these things is actually before you sign the agreement or, you know, or say I do. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, that's the time to plan for the, you know, for the exit strategy, or at least in my experience, that's when it seems to be the most successful. Yeah. Now, Lisa, so you, your role, are you working for the, the law firm or does an individual client come in and hire you to, you know, go to bat for them? How does that work? Both. Both. Yeah. I work for law firms in, as a kind of litigation support consultant and for clients, you know, specifically as well. And in both in both roles, my tasks are very similar. It's having someone, you know, really focused on just the financial piece, and the lawyers do the global lawyering, and I'm focused strictly on preparing various analysis and scenarios and stuff along those lines, researching assets. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I read about you is that you also help to identify fraud and uncover lost or hidden assets. And so I'm curious, like, how do you do that? That sounds fascinating. That sounds like it could be like its own reality TV series of like, you know, (laughs) getting in there and finding this stuff. So I'm just curious, like, how, how do you do this? Well, kind of, it almost segues back to, there's a number of different avenues, but it almost segues back to what we were talking about, you know, as far as like a pre or post not, you know, to separate assets. And, you know, you don't want to think about it. Well, what I find is that when the the hidden assets um, or the non, and, and quite frankly, a number of them are just failure to disclose kind of they exist and they're, the one party is hoping that they're not unearthed where they forgot to list them in their financial statement. Some are actually hidden. But what I find is that it doesn't normally start at the point of divorce proceedings. So it's been going on for a number of years normally. And one of the easiest ways to find them is tying out uh, tax returns to a financial statement. You know, people, parties have to provide a financial statement listing their assets and liabilities in the state of Massachusetts, I assume throughout the country, and simply tying those out to past tax returns is one clear indication 
or those can be some aha moments, you know, just as far as like, wow, interesting, we have an account and it's not listed. The same for bank statements, looking for actually entries going, money coming in and money going out. Um, And where is it going? And it starts with usually a very straightforward entry or uh, 1099 or K1 or something along those lines that doesn't match up to the financial statement. And then, and then we, then it's kind of like game on and we start digging. Wow. Oh my goodness. And so now if you uncover fraud, what happens? Like, is this just is part of the divorce proceedings or does it become a criminal or a civil like offense? Do you have to bring the authorities in if you discover fraudulent things happening? Um, I mean, it can go. I can't, I can't obviously speak to the legal aspect of it. But what I can say is that I know judges are mandatory reporters. And so, you know, if something becomes known to them during the course of any sort of proceedings, my understanding is that they're required to report it. For my, I haven't seen, you know, one of the the easiest excuses, I guess, is, oh, yes, of course, forgot about that account. And my reality is that sometimes it's difficult to go, you know, beyond that and prove that there was some sort of, you know, intent. But I wouldn't, it seems, is that maybe in the 60s or 70s, when there were paper, you know, it was just paper trails and times were different, Maybe it was possible to, you know, get away with these things. But certainly in 2023, with the power of subpoena and uh, everything, you know, electronic, it is extremely difficult. To me, it's, it's somewhat, it is really foolhardy to attempt that because you're lying, you know, the first document that's getting submitted to the court, you know, just again, just from a logic perspective. The first thing you're submitting is proven to be untrue and inaccurate. And the judge is going, you know, I mean, I would not want that to be my first impression with someone who's going to be deciding, you know, essentially the, maybe the course of their financial course or, and custody and whatever for the rest of my life. So I think it's a, it's a, a really foolish way to, um, to start off and, ha- and, and extremely unlikely to succeed. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay. So Lisa, you have such a fascinating job of what you do. So tell me, what do you love most? What do you love most about the work that you do? Um, In my own mind, I consider myself um, an equalizer, particularly because, you know, I did this on a, sometimes the assets were worth a hundred, or the loans were a hundred million, 50 million. And, and sometimes my clients' marital estates are in, are in the same exact, you know, zone. But I feel like I have a specific skill set and, you know, at least we can, I can, I, I try to level the playing field. And so if there's some sort of, you know, inaccuracies or misrepresentations that I can document what is a more accurate and fair field for which the proceedings need to proceed. And I do love, I have to say, just like when I was working with essentially chasing down fraudulent borrowers, I do like to get on to 
something that I feel is a mess and follow it, mm-hmm. you know, follow it through. Very nice. And what would you say is the hardest thing about the work that you do? Probably the human aspect of it. I think a lot of the clients, especially early on, have, you know, a lot of people have, uh, fortunately, have no legal experience. So the whole process is very intimidating. And it can be, you know, there's a lot of stress involved. I mean, I just deal with the financial aspect. Of course, there's custody issues, housing issues, you know, financial, all of this sort of thing. And so I think one of one of the things is that I see a lot of clients, especially initially, really under an enormous stress. Wow. Yeah, I would imagine that is difficult. I mean, I've been through divorce. It is never pretty, even if it's amicable. amicable, It's never a fun thing to go through. And when you are going through it, um, it can really affect your business because that emotional stress and strain, it's very difficult not to bring that into the company and then have it actually affect your company's growth, which we don't want to see. But it's really nice to know that there are people like you out there as resources. So you don't have to go through it alone. There are people that can help you and that can be on your side, especially if you find yourself in an unfair situation. Your company that you founded now, do you only work with clients specifically in Massachusetts or are you guys able to work with clients throughout the U.S.? Primarily in New England, really because of the travel. And there's a certain aspect of Particularly, it depends on the level of complexity, but on the more complex cases, one of the things, the vestiges that for COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID really didn't necessarily affect my business, but it affected the way we conducted business like everyone else. And certain meetings and stuff, particularly presentations about, you know, kind of laying out results and analysis, it really lends itself to not hundreds of pages being brought up on Zoom for six to eight different parties, you know, it, it really lends itself to being in a conference room. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, the majority of my clients are within in New England and concentrated in Massachusetts. Got it. Got it. Awesome. This is just so wonderful. And so tell everybody who's listening, like there, is there any last piece of advice um, or opinion that you would like to offer our listeners today that they should know if they find themselves in a situation like this? Yeah, I would say to, you know, number one, I would, I would, per- well, I can say for myself, I would personally try to, you know, equalize my access to assets and cash, number one. Number two, I'd also do the same for, you know, financial records, that if you filed joint tax returns, you have equal, you know, I hear this quite often, you know, I just signed it, I just signed it. You know, you sign the return. Well, even if you just, I've never seen a copy of it. Well, one, you should have a copy of it, in my opinion. And number two, you're entitled to a copy of it. And so I would also try to assemble the documents that you are, you have a right to, because you're going to need them anyway. And if you do that, you know, at the beginning, it just kind of is more efficient and can save time and give you a better understanding. I quite often have clients who really just don't, don't have under, any understanding one way or the other where they, you know, what what makes up the marital estate, how much it is, or how little it is. It, it really runs the gamut for me. So I would say, to, I would say information is um, a real plus. 
Very nice. And Lisa, where can our listeners find you if they would like to have more information about you and your company? Uh, the easiest is my website is assetpartnersinc.com. And I can be reached directly at lisa at assetpartnersinc.com. Wonderful. Awesome, you guys. So we will definitely put Lisa's information in the show notes for today's show. Lisa, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right, you guys, get out there and have a happy, productive day. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.